The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Louis Lau is our guest for this half hour, director of the investments group at Brandis Investment Partners. So a lot of a downward push today. Uh, we had strong commentary again from Fed officials and the earnings not looking so good. It's pretty tough to be positive here, Lewis. How are you thinking uh, through it? Yeah, I think the markets are in uh, for a difficult time in the next six months. I think the Fed is going up against the strength of the U.S. labor market and the strength of the U.S. consumer. And at some point, one of these things is going to crack. Um, and so until we see a pause in the Fed, I think it's difficult to be constructive, except maybe for defensive sectors like healthcare. It's quite something, Louis, when you know you had Loretta Mester just uh, talking and uh, saying that she would carry on increasing the cost of borrowing, hiking rates, even if the uh, U.S. economy was in a recession. Um, you know, the thing is, how much pain are they really willing to tolerate? You know, I think you might see the unemployment rate go up from 3% to maybe around 5 which is a pretty big increase in a short amount of time. Uh, I mean, you've seen mortgage rates go to 6 to 7%, which is something that, you know, has rarely been seen. And so I think, the unfortunately, a lot of the global central banks are leaning on the inflation fight and less on supporting the economy because they think they have room. But until we get to that point of weakness, uh, I, I don't think the central banks are going to blink. But again, it just depends on how far, how fast we get to that point of weakness. What do you make of, of Jim Bullard's comments about, quote, the markets getting the message? Uh, is the Fed openly targeting markets? Um, you know, there's been a pretty big adjustment in expectations in the last one or two weeks about how long inflation is going to be. Um, I think uh, right now, expectations are, are inflation might not slow down until 2024. The previous expectation is 2023, and the markets were expecting sometime in 23 that the Fed might uh, start to reduce rates, but it might not be until 2024. So I think that adjustment that uh, Jim is talking about is has been happening pretty quickly in the last week. Okay, well, you know, with all that in mind, you know, what happens next? I mean, where are we in in the whole cycle, if you will? Yeah, I think we may be in the early innings. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, we're not seeing enough of a quantum of analyst downgrades, especially on S&P 500 earnings. I think there's still some growth from this year to next year. Uh, we're seeing some analysts cut estimates, but not as much as uh, what an, a recession might imply, right? So um, I think until you see that, uh, there may be more downside for U.S. equities. Yeah. When you hear Loretta Mester say that real interest rates uh, 
uh, have to be in positive territory and then held for a time, uh, you know, that's very bad or very tough for risk assets. Yeah, I would agree with that because if the expectation is that even in 2024, inflation comes down to three and a half to four, and you have the Fed funds rate at four point, you know, seven five, that's only three quarters of a percent of real interest rates, and usually that amount is about two to three percent of real interest rates in most markets, including the U.S. where we used to be um, from a historical standpoint. So. We're quite far from that very positive real rate um, scenario that has been discussed. Uh, thank you very much indeed, Lewis, for sticking around with us. Let's have a look at uh, what we are seeing in this part of the world in terms of uh, your equity strategy. Uh, you know, what are you looking at in terms of perhaps regionally as well as some of the industry groups? Yeah, sure. So I think in terms of regions and countries, uh, where we see more resilience and less likelihood of a recession would be Southeast Asia. Uh, that is still um, expected to be benefiting from uh, reopening after COVID. Um, and then one bright spot, maybe the only strong growth market left uh, in Asia is India. Um, so those are the areas where we think there is opportunity. Uh, but we will also caution against being too negative against uh, China, because historically, after the party congress, um, the government has always focused, refocused back on economic growth. Mm. Is it too early to look for bottoms uh, in some sectors? Uh, I know you mentioned China Internet could be looking um, reasonable. Uh, yeah, we, we think maybe a bottom has been reached um, because if you look at sentiment, it's been depressed by delisting fears. Um, but we don't think uh, China would have allowed U.S. accounting uh, inspectors to come that far if they didn't want to strike a deal. Um, so most likely they remain listed. And then if you have an economic and consumption rebound into next year, maybe some COVID restrictions lifting, it could be a pretty good rebound year for China Internet for next year. Yeah, the thing is, you always ha seem to have this regulatory overhang over parts of uh, the market there, don't you, Lewis? And uh, the thing is, it, you know, this is an administration which really has turned its back on the private sector in many um, industry groups. This is the overhang, surely. Yes, um, and I think a lot of it had to do with political risks and challengers uh, coming from the private sector, challenging the party ahead of the 20th Party Congress. Mm. But I think once uh, that is over, then the political risk of um, supporting the private sector goes away, and then the focus could shift back to the economy as it has been historically. But I agree with you, Richard. I mean, the, this regulatory phase has gone on much longer and much deeper than any one of us have expected. Yeah, it's been a good 18 months or so. Um, y you know, this this particular party congress, uh, obviously leadership and, and politics, so will we'll take center stage, uh, perhaps a little over the economy. Uh, but you say that you do expect a pro-economic growth mindset for next year. Will we have to wait till March, or might we get some signs of that out of this congress? You know, it was a good sign that they brought forward the party congress date to October 16, which was the earliest possible date. So I think they want to get some of the political appointments out of the way. Um, but I think the reason, one of the reasons that we might have to wait until next March is because if there's a domestic mRNA vaccine that gets rolled out in November or December, it's going to take a good quarter or so, one or two quarters to get more of the population vaccinated before they can reopen. So that's one reason. And the other reason is that the People's Congress, which is kind of the broader 
appointments of, of the government officials in the next year only takes place in March. So to your concern, uh, I'm also worried about the next six months that there might not be a lot of good news coming out of China in the next six months. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me something, Lewis, as well. I mean, do we have any precedents of, you know, what the priorities are going to be for the uh, the same administration, but its third iteration, as it were? And, you know, it's, how much will you be looking at who's appointed um, in terms of the top posts uh, for guidance? Yeah, I think one of the things to look out for is, you know, within the Politburo, you know, how many members, uh, you know, are loyal to Xi that have been installed that represents an increase from maybe like the four or so uh, friendly uh, members of the Politburo from the last political cycle. The other issue is also kind of key appointments in the military to see what degree of preparations, um, you know, the government is making for to handle the issue of Taiwan from a military standpoint. So those are some of the political and military um, moves that uh, we're watching. Again, it, it doesn't bear much economic significance, but uh, those are maybe some of the things to watch uh, for changes. Lewis, in uh, five seconds, uh, will the Hang Seng get a bit of a break with the uh, quarantine and other uh, COVID restrictions lifted very quickly. Yes, I think it will. That's exactly the length of time I wanted as the answer. Lewis, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Lewis Lau there, Director of Investment Group uh, at uh, Brandis Investment Partners. This is Bloomberg. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcasts. And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+.